So welcome back to the next episode of the For Dog State podcast. As always, you've got me here, Louise Campbell-Pearson, the founder of Canine Friends. And we've also got Jay. Yep, Jay Gurdon, founder of Blue Mole Minion, and I also run Good Guardianship. And we've got an exciting special guest on today. We've got the wonderful Mayor Franklin. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, well, our topic today is um, called, well, it's the link between pain and behaviour. And this is very, very much something that Mayor has an interest in because um, I'll let Mayor introduce a little bit more about herself now, and, and that will explain a little bit why she's on this episode. Okay, so um, I'm a clinical canine massage therapist. Um, I was trained by um, Natalie Lenton of the Canine Massage Therapy Centre in Worcestershire. Um, it was a two-year course. Um, we study anatomy, um, physiology in great depth, um, and treat animals for a range of um, conditions, arthritic conditions, um, orthopaedic conditions, um, myofascial pain, you name it, we treat it. Um, and we have to have veterinary consent before an animal can uh, come to see me. We work in accordance with the Veterinary Surgeons Act 1966, um, and that means that um, the client has to take away my consent form to their vet, get the vet's approval, so the vet will let me know if there's any underlying conditions that I should know about, and the vet will also assess whether the animal is actually suitable to receive massage therapy whether there's any contraindications that would say that the, the massage is not appropriate for that particular animal. Um, I'm also a Tellington Touch practitioner. Um, I did my practitioner training. That was a three-year training uh, to reach level one. And that was where my interest really in the link between pain and behaviour was sparked. And that led me into the canine massage course. Um, so yes, that that that's really where the, the seed was planted for me. Um, I also have a graduate diploma in animal behaviour, which I did with Compass Education uh, quite a few years ago. But yeah, I'd say the um, Tellington Touch was where the link started to form in my mind between behaviour and pain. Um, and Sarah Fisher does a lot now with uh, free work. Uh, observations but we also do a lot of observations on the Tellington touch side um, we find that when we slow animals down and move them at a much slower pace uh, when we do T-touch groundwork um, that the subtle um, irregularities become more apparent yeah because I was just gonna say can you tell us a little bit more listeners a little bit more about the Tellington touch because that's that's your foundation it'd be really useful to kind of I know a little bit about it uh, but be good to know a bit more as well okay so the groundwork aspect of t-touch as I say when you slow animals down um, you you see much more of the nuances of of the subtle things that you would miss when an animal's charging about Uh, for instance with agility dogs they're flying around the course but actually they're just swinging the back end round but when they've actually got to step around carefully, that's when you'll see if they're having difficulties turning one way as opposed to another. Whereas running fast, they can get away with just throwing the back end around. It's quite interesting, really. And of course, when adrenaline's pumping as well, 
um, you, the animal will over override any issues in that moment because it's so well it's the same with humans as yes. well when we're kind of in the moment and then you think oh actually yes, exactly that, right. that hurt a bit yeah <laughs> that's exactly right yeah when, once you start to actually think about it and slow down um and with teachers we do groundwork so we do what we call leading exercises we we have them on rope lines and um we can have two three handlers all with ropes attached to the dog. Um, it, it started its life at Tea Touch. It was developed about 40 odd years ago or more by Linda Tellington Jones. And I was lucky enough to meet her um, in April. She came over. Um, she lived in Hawaii, but she's moved to, I think she's in LA now, or, or Florida. Yeah, Florida, I think she's moved to. But she came over in April and we met her. Uh, and did a workshop with that. I assisted her on a horse training course. I don't know anything about horses, but I, I was <laughs> an assistant. But uh, I'm told that if you if you actually study horses, it's even it's even greater benefit to your understanding of movement because everything's clearer to spot with a horse. Bigger and shorter coats. Yeah, I, I have a bit of a horse background and I can definitely see that because you can actually see on a lot of horses the muscles moving really well. Yeah, and everything's bigger and larger movements, isn't it? So to the untrained eye, it's easier to start with a horse than with a dog because they're so fast moving. And yeah. Um, and then we had a practitioner um, day with her after that. So I spent a full day with her the following day and that was really fantastic because... Um, we don't get her over in the UK very often, uh, so that was marvellous. So, yeah, we do um, groundwork. Uh, so we, we put um, – it's a bit like Cavaletti with horses. We get them stepping over. We don't get them jumping things, but we have poles on the floor, the Cavaletti poles, and we get the, the animals to step over things, and we can see if they're clipping uh, the poles with one foot, how aware they are of their back end in relation to the front um, we have um, exercises with, um, we put poles out in configuration. So it's like a little mini maze, if you like. We call that a labyrinth. Or we have um, a fan. We put, the, we put the poles out in different configurations and we move the animals through. We get them to turn and pause and take a breath and just process what's around. Um, in tea touch, we use some nice little sound bites. We always say that. The pauses with music, if you think of music, it's nothing without the pauses. And the pauses are the important part because that's what makes mm -hmm. the music, if you like. And we say the same about use of tea touch. It's those little pauses that gives the animal time to process and take in their surroundings and move forward or decide to do a turnaround and go the other way. We always take account of the animal and what they're telling us that that's that's fantastic because that, that that really goes with the sort of the big movement that's that's coming into the dog world at the moment with like the slow dog movement and slowing everything down and you know we're, we're really starting to tell people with their dogs to give them a minute to think about it let them see let them absorb just let them take a breath and wait for them to figure yeah. it out when you're trying to teach them something as well you know give them give them a bit of time to think yeah. about it it's not it doesn't all have to be 
right away. Snap, snap. If it's not instant, then you don't know it and you're being disobedient in inverted commas because they're not. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if if I think about puppy, puppy classes, <laughs> um, you see them coming in on the first night and sometimes it looks like they're dra- dragging a, a mop behind them <laughs> across the because the poor little puppies put the brakes on and the other end of the lead hasn't realized and they just want to get to the seat because they're pumped with adrenaline and they're anxious about being at a puppy class for the first night and they're not really giving their little puppy the time to just process this really weird environment with slippy floor and an echoey sound yeah yeah. it's just about acknowledging that a puppy needs some space and some time just give the puppy time to have a little think and take things in and then we can move forward yeah and, and with t-touch a lot of it is our breathing as well and our own body postures um we do a lot of uh signaling down the lead so we do something called stroking the leash so that's sending a signal to the dog we can stroke down towards the leash or stroke up towards ourselves sends little vibrations like a little it's almost like a little tap on the shoulder say hey uh we're okay you know just don't focus over there it's okay it's like a little reassuring message to the to the dog um yeah we can get the dogs back focus with us by a little signal on the lead we don't pull up on pull on leads but we give we work with Mm -hmm. um t-touch we meet we meet and melt. We, it's called a meet and melt. So we just hold the pressure and we melt it away down the lead. We don't. That makes sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. So uh, you started with the with the talent and touch, and that's where your interest kind of yes, led into the yeah. canine massage. Um, so yeah, we, uh, there's um, hands on work, so body work with T touch as well. But it's very very superficial touch. Um, it's T touch is not massage. Uh, a lot of people think T-touch is uh, a massage therapy, but it's not. It's it's very, very light, superficial touch. Um, you're just moving the skin, nothing more. You would be moving the fascia as well, but nothing deeper. Um, so the massage is working at a much deeper level. Um, fascia is a fascinating uh, thing for me. It, yeah, I, I was I was just going to ask you about that because you mentioned myofascial pain before. Can you sort of give a, a bit of an explanation of of what the fascia is, okay. what it does? Yes, yeah, so the fascia is it's a, it's the environment in which the nervous system lives, basically, uh, and it's mm. like a three D network, uh, and it wraps every muscle fiber individually, and then it wraps groups of muscle fibers bundles. Um, and then it wraps individual muscles and then groups of muscles. So it interweaves right through the body. It, it coats, it covers the bones, nerves. Um, it is a proprioceptive organ. And, and many years ago, surgeons thought of it as a waste product. They would discard it. So when you think of fascia, uh, if, you have ch- if you have a chicken breast, that white coating that you can mm-hmm. peel off that's fascia um and you could think of it as like a, a web that covers everything in the body uh, and if you have a web and you, you you tap on one part of the web you'll feel the vibration 
elsewhere and fascia is the same it will it communicates right through the body um and that's the deep fascia you also have superficial fascia which is just beneath the skin um and that wraps as a whole the body as a whole um and if that becomes dysfunctional it can become um dehydrated it can tighten it can form adhesions um and it's almost like wearing a jumpsuit two sizes too small if that happens so the dog or a person's range of movement can be severely restricted when there is fascial tightness or adhesions. Um, the muscles can't slide and glide over each other. So that's what fascia does uh, between the muscles. It allows them to pass over each other smoothly. And when that becomes dysfunctional, obviously, you've got issues with movement. It's really interesting. I mean, and I take it it's the same in people, right? Yes, yeah. yes exactly the same mm. yeah um you, you actually use one of my, my favorite words in there proprioceptive oh. um so it's obviously it's a word that we're all quite used to but basically what it means uh, proprioception is it's like sort of being aware of your body and where it is in space yes. isn't it yeah there are also fascia is also um it contains receptors for touch pressure pain tension um any irritation uh, you've got uh, receptors for, um, well, what happens is, is it, you've got receptors that will pick up sensations in the environment. So say if your dog treads on something sharp, um, a message will go from the periphery, from his foot, it, up to his central nervous system, so up the spine to the brain, and then a, um, an efferent message from the central nervous system will instantly go back out to tell the dog to retract the paw to minimize injury yeah so um you can get with, with... do you do do you do people because can i come and see <laughs> no, you because this is fascinating like <laughs> <laughs> i'm like can you fix the pain in my back like <laughs> well that's another thing i had um an issue with a, a fascia um plantar fasciitis in my foot and I had uh, I've got some arthritic changes um, in the in the joint of my ankle as well, um, and um, I had various injections, steroids, this, that, and the other. And when that wore off, the pain just came back. So I decided to try um, when I went to a chiropractor, and he used uh, sports massage as well. And it cured me. So that's another thing that I think when I have clients who come who have had massage for themselves, they understand how uh, fantastic it can be at helping them with injuries um, and other issues. Um, I, I, don't get me wrong, um, our treatment is not a pampering session. A lot of people think it's like the cucumbers and the <laughs> and the, and the rats. I just got this vision of a chihuahua and a head towel. Like yeah, people think it's, a, it's some sort of pampering session, but it's not. Um, and there can be some therapy, spa music, yeah. running water. I do put music Lovely. On. I do have relaxing music. I like to use uh, vibrational music that's set at a, a frequency that is very relaxing um a bit like brown noise yeah or... it's um 432 megahertz is one um mm. there is various 
um, pieces of my classical music. Dogs love classical music. As long as it's not like really rousing classical music, nice and gentle. Yeah. They've got good taste. Oh. My dog's strange. He likes Iron Maiden. <laughs> I put Iron Maiden on some Slipknot, sleep. and there's like, <laughs> a whole different vibe. Then, <laughs> so so really, like the fascia. Then, so many people won't have heard of it. I mean, I never, I know what the fascia is, and I'd not put that together with plantar fasciitis, mm-hmm. which is really yeah. quite bad yeah. of me. But it really is this massively important structure in yes. the body, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it weaves through everything, the whole body. It affects every part of the body. Um, and as I say, it has knock-on effects for other areas of the body. I was going to say, could, if you get pain um, or a problem in one area, could it cause pain in another? Because it's kind of, and yeah. that's where you then have to figure yeah. out where the root cause, yeah. like disassociative pain, like when you have, yes. like it migrates, doesn't it? Well, you tend to find where there's an injury in one area, the animal without overcompensate in other areas. So your animal will be changing their gait because it's they've got say if they've got a pain in their um, scapula on the left side, you might find that they're putting more weight over their um, hip on the opposite side. It's usually often diagonally, so they're distributing their weight differently. Uh, and then there's more stress on that area. And that area is at a greater risk for accruing injuries. Uh, with trigger mm. points, you can get um, satellite trigger points. So you can have um, the pain felt elsewhere when you um, palpate a trigger point. It can be felt elsewhere in the body. Yeah. Everything's connected, basically. It's just the whole body is connected. Um, so the, the signals can pass wherever. <laughs> Of course, because we can get that as well. I mean, so everybody knows what it's like when you have like a pain in your mouth, you poke a spot with your tongue and it hurts somewhere else. Yeah. It's hard enough to, for us to work out when we can actually sort of tell people where it hurts. But you've got an animal who can't say that it hurts at all in anything other than how they move and how they behave. Yes. It, it becomes much harder, doesn't it? And then you have the worry of people seeing these behaviours that the dogs are making to protect themselves yes. and seeing it as in inverted commas, bad mm. behaviour. When it's not, it's really just the dog going, I can't cope, I can't can't do this, leave me alone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so many cases where, I mean, you see dogs and, and it's often um, a sudden change in behaviour. You know, suddenly you had a previously very, very happy dog that didn't have any, in inverted commas, behavioural issues or ones that people like to speak about, which is like the activity, aggression, things like that. And suddenly the dog is guarding itself. Um, it's it's becoming aggressive. And if anyone goes near, the, near them, goes to touch them, when previously there's no history of that, that's a massive warning sign that there's maybe something physical going on. And that is where there's this massive link between, behind pain and behaviour. But as well as sudden changes, you've got... Um, gradual changes as well because much like with us for example arthritis arthritis doesn't come overnight it's a slow breakdown of the cartilage and slowly but surely you may get increasing changes of behaviors as well so it's not just sudden changes of behaviors that indicate a pain or, or physiological related issue it is also the other you know gradual changes why it's which is why every behaviorist that's qualified behaviorist will always rule out a physical 
underlying physical medical issue before proceeding with behavior modification, counter conditioning and desensitization training. And sometimes a combination because the pain may have caused a behavior change and that might then stick. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It can become a, a habitual pattern of behavior. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, often they can continue through the memory of pain because it's about re-setting um, the way they move, rebalancing them to move correctly by addressing yeah, and of course, all areas. You've got those neural pathways in there, haven't you? And then, you know, once the issue that's been causing the pain mm-hmm. has been resolved, obviously, you know, we know it's all better. Yeah, you've got the, the neural pathways, which um, are the tracks that the signals go between the, like, <laughs> the peripheral, the limbs and, and the brain. And the more that they're used, the more established they become. So obviously then you have to kind of reform those. I know you've got a brilliant analogy for for sort of the, the forming of the tracks. Yes, it's, it's like we're on the motorway. And um, the more we travel down that motorway, the more that, that pattern of behaviour is entrenched and becomes stronger. Um, and we do it without thinking. It's habitual. We don't we don't even think about it. It's something that we do because we do it. Uh, with T-touch, we put animals in non-habitual patterns of behaviour. As with the labyrinth, we, we get them to move in a way that they're not used to moving. We use wraps that give them a sensation on their body. And not, not the musical wraps, by the way. Um, <laughs> like bandages. <laughs> bandages, yeah. We wrap at them with, with classical music and it's great. <laughs> There's a thing going on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we give the animal new sensations and it heightens their awareness of their body and what they're doing with their body. Um, for instance, mouth work. Often animals are like using their mouths and barking innately and we might do a little few touches around the mouth just to bring some awareness to what they're doing with their mouth because sometimes they're not even thinking about it and that can help often um other things that with with non-habitual if i if i was to say to you um when you put your trousers on (laughs) you will always put the same foot into your trousers first without thinking you don't think about it next time Mm. you put your trousers on try and do it the other way around and it feels really weird Mm. and that's what a pattern of behavior has formed that that's what you always do and you do it without thinking or when you try to do it a different way it's very it takes some thought yeah rather than being like second nature yeah you know it's a bit like it's not the same, but you know when you're driving home and you, you don't really know how you got there because you've switched mm. off versus driving somewhere you don't know when you have to actively think where you're going. It's like exactly. that kind of switching on that subconscious and conscious areas yeah. of the brain. And, and I got told that was to do with the fact that if our brains were conscious for too much, they would get it would get so tired and it has to kind of go into this sort of subconscious running and mm. like ticking over sometimes throughout the day um, yeah. so that we can cope because if everything was constantly in like this, you know, we're constantly concentrating on everything, you know what it's like when you drive two, three hours, you're exhausted at the end of it because you're having to concentrate. Whereas naturally your brain switches off a bit during the day whilst you're still conscious it's a different part of your brain acting when you're doing well rehearsed um things 
you know patterns and behaviors when you learn to drive a car isn't it i mean i I remember the very first time i got in a car to drive it and having to cope with watching what was going on around me and the indicators and the gear stick and the pedals and it was just all too much now you know you just don't don't even think about all of the levers and stuff in the car you your mind's on watching what's on the road and the rest of it just kind of happens you know so i think what would be really useful for sort of people listening would be some of the the kind of things to look for uh, sort of like the, the the signals that that could prompt people to think that there is potentially an issue so that they can then go and visit their vets for a checkup with their concerns so as you say some of these signs can be very very subtle and can be easily missed if you're not looking for them um i always uh, say to people to get the hands and Feel, feel the dog have regularly get the if the dog's comfortable obviously with it um it, if your dog is not comfortable with touch um then you're going to strip it right back and just do a very brief touch with the back of your hand come away and you build it up build up in little stages uh it's no good like getting your dog in a in a headlock and try to feel it everywhere if it's it's not happy with it um, it's going to be it's going to tense up and it's going to be it's abnormal you, it's not going to have gonna a good feel. baseline yeah. yeah so if anyway if, if you're just petting your dog relaxing in the evening you just have a little feel with the back of your hand if you stroke your dog with the back of your hand it's more perceptive to heat changes so if you stroke from uh, collar down the thoracic area to the tail um, very slowly you may notice there's heat somewhere along the body it's just an observation to take note of you might notice cool areas uh, often dogs um, that are anxious tend to have cold extremities we found in t-touch um I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah. So that's you could check for it. Any any changes in heat. If your dog moves away when you get to a certain area, that's something to note. If your dog rolls on its back or removes that area, does something different. So often people think the dog's rolling on its back because it wants a fuss, but it may not be. It mm. may be that your dog is politely asking for space in an area that you were in contact mm. with so these are all yeah. things to know if there's and it's big, about getting a pattern isn't it it's about getting it's a pattern building of these up a things picture, yeah. yeah seeing what's normal on, on what's versus what's abnormal because yeah. you've got historical data to show you yes. what what's normal for your dog yeah you build up you become a bit of a detective really uh put the clues together and and if there are any issues that you are worried about Obviously, it's the vet. If you notice that the dog has started to um, struggle in the kitchen, say, on the tiled floor, it might get stuck there. That's another issue. It could be that they're worried about or there's pain somewhere. Um, If you have sciatica and I tell you to walk across an ice rink, how would you feel? Yeah. This is what a dog might be feeling if he's got pain somewhere in his body um and, and can we can we just say to sort of tie back to an episode of a certain tv show a few weeks ago oh they are not being divas i was no. about to bring that up no. but yeah or little madam no. no there is always a... that was an elderly dog right 
it was wasn't she about an eight or ten year old golden retriever that clearly probably had some joint pain because obviously you know retrievers are prone to joint problems they never do things for no reason and i would uh, i advise everybody all my clients that come to me i advise them to get some runners down at home we all love laminate floor (laughs) and smooth floor but it's the worst type of flooring for your dog your dog particularly puppies as well when they're growing um you know people see these videos online of swimming puppies and actually that's really damaging for their joints their growth plates and and actually they're not cute videos of them swimming it's actually probably causing them quite a lot of pain they just physically can't stand up they can't modulate their grip on shiny floors um Mm -hmm. so when they're skidding about and splaying about like you say puppies um taking the joint out of the normal range can actually cause injuries so your puppy could end up with joint issues that weren't there when that puppy was born because it's hyper extending the joint and in a and in a pressured angle as well um we have um tendons that monitor stretch golgi tendon organs um that will tell us when we're stretching too far and we will retract back but when the dog is splaying out he has no control over that it's gone the limb's gone on shiny floor um and you can have all kinds of injuries occurring uh say you're stretching that the tendons uh well on the ligaments beyond where they should be going um and causing all sorts of issues and it's also the repetition of that as well it's the fact that it's on a prolonged and continued Mm. basis you know everyone wants you know sometimes hyperextends their joint I mean I'm hypermobile so that happens all the time for me but you know that's my norm um but it's the repetition of of that Mm. I mean it's a bit like Jay and I had a conversation when I was doing my puppy course and I was talking about um exercise around puppies and their joints and it's and it's kind of things within reason you know if your puppy goes down the stairs once is it probably going to cause a problem unlikely if Mm. it's 20 times a day every single day and they're very steep and it's repetition then probably yes that may well have a a could indicate a problem later down the line if not earlier so it's kind of context is really important as well and it's repetition as well yeah i uh, i too am hypermobile in my joints and that's a lot of the issues that I've suffered with uh arthritic changes come about because of them extending beyond their range yeah I mean I I had surgery I'm 31 and I had Mm. surgery on my shoulder in January and I had surgery Mm. on my elbow last year um due to it because I had a fully arthritic shoulder and there was absolutely no cartilage left because of the pressure that was on the joints from hyperextension so that yeah. my shoulder is an example of what would could happen to for example these puppies or older dogs that are continually being put in a position where they're hyperextending the joints outside of their yeah. natural um you get range lots of, of motion. Tears in the muscle uh, and what what happens then is the fascia will restrict to compensate for it because the there's pain there's tension and i imagine you then as a result get a lot of inflammation yeah. which can go yeah. around the whole body inflammation yeah. markers it can affect yeah. the whole body even if it's one particular area that that's causing the inflammation mm-hmm. or when you and get when you get inflammation that's when you get adhesions isn't yes. it and it just 
so it yeah. continues uh, and the trigger points when you get trigger points forming um you get toxic build build up in the muscles then and that's pain uh the muscles can't perform their normal functions movement becomes restricted the fascia gets tighter it's like cling film wrapped wrapping a, a piece of meat in cling film that that function of the muscle is inhibited then um it can't perform as it should be um and you just get more and more restrictions and pain i mean i find this absolutely fascinating it's one of those things that because because it also so much of it applies to us as well um and it's i just i find how particularly as i have an autoimmune disease and an inflammation based one at that so i find pain and inflammation and muscles and the whole connection with the body I, I find it really fascinating from a personal level and also from a canine behavior perspective yeah. as well it's like a vicious cycle really i suppose uh, as the as the animal gets tenser it just perpetuates uh, further stress i mean any sentient being if it's in pain is going to have reduced threshold for uh, tolerance of anything in the environment that normally they can cope with fairly happily and uh, we all know what it's like when we're in pain yes. even if you've got a headache you know that that red light or that green light that you miss and you get hit every red light on the way home they're much less able to, you know much less able to tolerate that yes. when you've got a bit of pain going on let alone something more extreme like an out and out fear which is what a lot of mm-hmm. canine um, have dogs have with behavioral issues so i imagine if not only if the pain is a cause of the behavioural issue, but if the pain is exacerbating the existing behavioural issue, then it's just not helping in any case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I suppose um, when we're looking at things for owners to look at, mm. um, I'd be I'd be assessing what how the dog sits. Is the dog sitting square, um, or do they have to abduct the limb? So that's like uh, sitting with a knee out, perhaps. Um, are they puppy sitting? Are they sitting on their sacrum? So sitting at an odd position. Um, how do they lie down and get up? Sometimes dogs with issues can't lower themselves down into a, 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 a laid down position and they will actually flop down, throw themselves down because they haven't got the ability to take the cells down gently yeah I, I had my previous dog he had arthritic hips and we found that with him he was just sort of throwing himself at the floor so yeah. actually we cured that by we collected a load of old sofa cushions and he had a bed that he could just walk onto and he sort of walked and laid and then when he wanted to get off he could just go off it straight into yes. a walking position so there was no laying down or having to lift himself up and that yeah. really really helped something as simple as that yeah it makes so much and difference so you, it? yeah to, to be able to make a change for that dog uh, may, well, it will increase his comfort level and probably make him more able to deal with things that perhaps he wouldn't be able to deal with. Because we're starting to see things now, aren't, aren't we, with um, people are more aware of using things like yeah. ramps for getting in and out of cars or onto the sofa rather because it's that, you know, if you take your dog for a walk twice a day and you drive somewhere to walk them, that's like, twice a day at least that they're jumping out of it and if you have like a big four-wheel drive or something it's a long way down 
on their shoulders, which of course aren't actually attached to the rest of their skeleton at all. Yes. It's all muscular. And it's it just it can lead to so many problems if you're not yes, careful, can't definitely. it? Yeah. Um ramps are great. Train the dog to use a ramp. Um, especially people with like four by fours, because that's even further from the ground, jumping down, jumping back up. Yeah. Um, things like uh, on and off the settee, is the dog having difficulty getting on and off the chair? Um, these are anything that changes like that, and as your dog started to have disinterest in being around you, are they isolating themselves, taking themselves off to be alone? Um, are you noticing them licking or over grooming an area? Do they snap when they, when you touch them? Um, grooming is grooming difficulty. Can you towel dry your dog? Uh, all these things can be subtle indicators that there's something else going on. Um, and because and with dysfunctional fascia, we can have a hypersensitivity to pain uh, or ladinia. So they will avoid um, having contact. Um, they can be grumpy. They might snap at other dogs because they're worried about other dogs. Sounds like you're describing me. I mean, I've got fibromyalgia, so I've got that that sort of heightened pain thing. And, and yeah, it just yeah. sounds so like you're describing me. There, there are days where it's just like, don't, don't come anywhere near me. Just just stay mm. over there. Yeah. And it, it's... Yeah. Don't, please don't touch me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We can relate to it if we think of it for ourselves. Yeah. It's totally relatable. Um, and then one another big, big, big thing that a lot of people don't realise is that noise sensitivity is often yes. seated in pain, physical pain. Um, uh, and the explanation is that if, if something makes you start, or if you've got a bad back, for instance, and I come up behind you and go, boo, and you have a startle response and you jump, if you've got a bad back, it's going to hurt. And the similar thing is occurring with your dog, but what your dog is doing is thinking that the noise, it makes the association with the noise being the issue, not the bad back, it thinks the noise has hurt it. <laughs> and then they, they get into a pattern of being very fearful of sound. Um, yeah, there's, there's been some fantastic research on that in the last few years, hasn't there, with, with noise yeah. sensitivity and pain and the connection. Another one I think that sometimes a lot of people don't think about, because we don't tend to like to think about these things, is difficulty in toileting, especially in getting the right position to toilet. Yes, so yeah. that's something that the dogs can really struggle with. And that, of course, can lead yeah. to the toileting in the house yes. because of the struggle to get comfortable. You may find um, a dog's walking as it's pooping. So it can't hold that stooped position. Um, you may notice that uh, if it's a male dog, that he's only uh, able to lift the one leg, not the other leg. He can't pee both ways. That one. That's something to note. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything like limping, gait issues. Are they slowing down on walks? Um, single tracking. So that's like just, how can I describe that? That's like almost crossing their feet as they walk over each other hop skipping when they transition from a uh, a walk into a trot that's often a sign of patellar issues if they do little hop skips uh little terriers often do a little hop skipping uh, are they crabbing so going to one side as they walk pacing there's lots of things are they throwing a leg out have you noticed the legs being uh, abducted as they walk um 
anything a deviation from their normal gait is something to take note of and think perhaps there's something going on here Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, this is the thing, and this is where, as you know, trainers, behaviorists, whatever, you have to put together, piece together the puzzle because, and that mm-hmm. is why canine behaviorists and roles as such yourself do as well have to be so highly qualified because you have to know all the potential options to try and piece together what might be going on. And you need to know to look out for different physiological things to be able to make the appropriate referral if needed to, for example, for a vet check. And one of the first things you learn when you're studying to be a canine behaviorist is about anatomy and its role in pain and its role in behavior and what to look out for so that you have an idea as to go, right, this dog needs a vet check and I want a few of these things ruled out slash whatever the vet also thinks might be going on. And once we've ruled out any medical issue, we can go forward or we refer to someone like yourself for canine massage to look if it is, if it's a muscular, muscle, muscle issue rather than like, you know, the dog needs surgery. Um, and even then you may play a role in its rehab as well. Um, yeah. But this is why our, our one of our other episodes we did a podcast on was why you should value your professional. And yeah. this is why you should value your professional, because you aren't just getting someone that goes, we a dog started growling. Well, we're going to shove a prong collar on it and tell it, mm-hmm. tell it that we're in charge. And, and, and that's, you know, we need to show that them that we're boss. And, and then that's the problem fixed. When you hear this and we hear what Mayor knows, you can see all the nuances and all the little things that you have to learn about. And that is why it takes years, a lot of money and a lot of study to become the top of your kind of professional canine behaviorist, clinical um, canine massage therapist. Is that your title? And and it's why, because you have to learn all these things. Yeah. And we never stop learning. No, and I love it. I'm learning today. I will never stop. Um, There's always, I'm probably only tipping the iceberg of what I would like to know. (laughs) There's always, and I think if we ever get to the stage where we think we know everything, that's the time to pack it in because nobody knows everything. (laughs) No. One of my favourite sayings is, the more I learn, the less I know. Because the more I learn the more I realise that there is to learn. I think another another takeaway for me is, um, as well as, you know, valuing your professional, is how important it is for owners, caregivers, so on and so forth, to have that understanding of canine body language and, most importantly, what is normal for yeah. their dog, that dog in mm-hmm. front of them. And it's interesting when you talk about body language because I think some of the issues that dogs have, the physical issues that we seeing so so kyphosis is like a roached back or uh, there's lordosis which is a sway back so these affect your dog's posture uh if your dog's got limber tail it won't be able to lift his tail it won't be able to move his tail correctly it just hangs down it's like it's dead um and these could affect your dog's ability to communicate with other dogs things like this uh, their posture, they might be forward. They might have to shift the weight more forward than they should. Which sends the wrong message, sends the wrong message. Yeah. And actually, yeah, they're just in pain. looks like aggression, yeah. doesn't it? And, and causes all Very kinds of problems, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, our dog, dogs are predominantly 
forward weighted anyway. They're 60-40, so they carry 60% of the weight on the fore and 40 on the hind. But often when they're compensating for another area, they will shift that weight. They're not, not weight bearing correctly. And that's another thing to look out for when you're looking at posture changes for your animal. Actually, that, that dog of mine that I said about with the bad hips, that was yeah. our clue with him because he was so forward over his front end. Yeah. That was what, what finally tipped us off to the yes. fact that he had issues. Yeah. And sometimes it can be as subtle as when the dog's wagging its tail, uh, you'll see one leg swinging more. So you can see there's not, not the weight over that leg. It, you know, it's some, such a subtle thing that, you know, they're not necessarily lame with a leg up in the air but they're not putting their weight evenly on all four corners, if you like. They should have their weight evenly distributed for 60-40. And that's something to look out for, yeah. Um, I I did have, um, and I did have another question for you. Uh, And that is, um, it's quite important one, actually. How does massage therapy help? Like what what kind of, what is in your day-to-day job, what is it that's, what does it do? What does it involve? Because obviously we've heard quite a lot about the Tellington, but I'd love to know a little bit more about the massage therapy and how it can help with pain. Well, um, we look at, um, assess the, the animal. When when a dog comes to me on the first uh, visit, I'll do a, a gait assessment. I'll check how the animal's moving, what the posture's like, um, and then I'll do a hands-on palpation of the muscles. Um, and we... A standard check would be about 40 pairs of muscles that we check through. Um, And we're feeling for temperature, any heat changes, tension in the muscles. So um, as I've trained, I'm still developing my sense of touch, uh, but more experienced canine massage therapists get very, very sensitive in their fingertips, they can feel uh, all sorts of tiny, tiny issues in that soft tissue. I can feel strains uh, in the in the muscles. Um, I'm looking at the response of the animal as well when I'm palpating, because um, the animal will let me know. If you just it might not be whipping rounds, but if they look round when I've palpated an area, I'm thinking, oh, if they start shifting their weight when I'm in an area, um, if I'm in the lumbar area and they, they drop away from me, so they drop their back away from me when I'm trying to palpate them. Um, sometimes they might get a bit silly, a bit giddy, so they're going to be to fool around. Lots of behaviour issues that can suggest. It tends to be when you get to a problem area, you'll get, a response like that you might get an animal go all silly um when you think oh go somewhere else come back and see if it happens again and it often does uh, i'll see twitching in the skin uh, exaggerated paniculous response when we do certain palpations um and the animal you'll you'll get to feel obviously i can't feel tenderness but the animal will tell me that there's a tender area um, but I'm trained in the Lenten method, which is a clinically trialled method. Um, it went through clinical trials by uh, Winchester University uh, not so long back. Um, and that was a, a study which involved about, I think it was about five, over 500 dogs were studied. Um, and 
that looked at owner. It was over a course of three treatments, each dog, and it looked at owner's um, impression of the results post the course of treatment and also the findings of the therapist. And that um, came out that it was, they found 95% of animals that were treated, there were positive results. In wow, that's a massive, yeah, like, that's amazing. That's a massive amount. So we release the fascia. We will, um, um, with releasing the fascia, it helps with the, the performance of the muscles. Uh, we will mechanically move lymph around the body um, and that will help to flush any toxins that are stuck in the soft tissues. And when we flush out the toxins, it helps to bring in fresh nutrients for repair of those tissues. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's. I'm really enjoying it. I'm seeing some uh, nice results. I had a dog um, the other week with really marked coat pattern changes. We haven't touched on coat pattern changes yet. <laughs> um, yeah. She'd got really marked uh, coat pattern changes. It was zigzag right down her neck, cervical vertebra going right down from the occiput down to about where a scapula is um and i took photos on the first appointment um and i've seen her since and they've totally gone <laughs> totally gone wow. she's smooth there now so that underlying tension affected the lay of her coat learned about this somewhere and I can't remember where it was I yeah. think it might have been a talent in touch it workshop that I did does it as well T-touch. yeah and I'm yeah, sure it's, it's I, T-touch and, and Sarah Fisher's ace both both talk about coat changes yeah I saw I read something about looking for coat patterns yeah. and I'd, I'd totally forgotten I'd, I'd learned about that I mean it was just an hour workshop but yeah um so you yeah. can get changes in the way the coat lies so um when there's underlying tension, as you say, the muscles and the fascia is tight, it's going to affect the way the hair lies. So you might see flicks, you might see swirls in the coat, zigzags, like I was saying, the zigzag pattern. Um, and also the circulation to that area can be affected. So that can also have a knock-on effect on um, coat texture. Um, is it dry? Has it gone wiry? Um, is it is there um, scurf in the area? Um, skin in the area could be affected because that circulation underneath is not um, getting the oils to that area that should be coming. Um, yeah, it's all things like that. You can even see coat colour changes. Um, I mean, our poor listeners are going to be like, "Oh my god, everything's wrong with my dog." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's standing funny. We's funny. Who's funny? It's coats funny, right? Someone help me. <laughs> Actually, that that with the the coat changes makes perfect sense with what you were saying earlier about how the fascia goes through the whole body, and yeah. you've got that layer of yeah. it right under the skin. So obviously, you're mm. right close there to the blood supply. You know where the hair's growing from, and so that that yeah. just makes perfect sense. It does yeah? It's um. It's a dead tissue, yeah. It just can't circulate. It can't. The, the fluids can't get round to feed and bring nutrients to the area, and it does. It affects everything, yeah. 
Um, yeah. Lots of areas that we look at. We look at IDLs. We look what so activities of daily living. We've touched on a lot of that already. Um, yeah, so I could talk great. about this for hours. I could just yeah. sit here and listen. Yeah, it's it's mm. it's really really fascinating, and um, I'm really really grateful for taking out time in your day to talk to us and our our one listener as I said last time hi mum um, <laughs> um hopefully there's more than you here and my friend Lucy hi Lucy <laughs> um but no it's been it's been really 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 helpful I mean I've learned a lot and I'm sure that the listeners the will learn things a lot. Keep and, and up into my head <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I know I know, I know. Um, it's hard because I know we could talk. We could, Jay and I, honestly, we yeah. could stop ourselves. We're like, oh my gosh, we can. But maybe we can get you back. I was just going to say that. Maybe we, maybe we can have you on again and, and go through some, some more of the, the mm-hmm. of what you do and, and how it works. Yeah. But I mean, to kind of summarize, obviously, Mayor's touched on a great, great amount of detail. And what a wonderful bit of knowledge that she's giving all you guys for free which is amazing um but there's a you can see how a pain in particular plays a massive role in behavior because when you look at all the things that can be affected by underlying pain which can be from underlying injury or whatever um that is going to affect how your dog acts and that is why it is important to see the right professional because they will should hopefully be able to put together the right pieces to give you the right referral whether that's to say in the behavioral aspect and whether it's to go down a pain route and that is through your clinical setting your vets your massage therapist your vet physios your things like that so you know don't always assume that it's just because there's been just a behavioral change there may well be an underlying pain related issue that is causing that behavioral change in your dog and it's important to kind of know about all the different things Absolutely. Uh, Mayor, is there sort of like anything in particular you'd like the listeners to take away from from our conversation today? Well, I I think uh, if they just start to observe their dog and think about things that change, little changes, get used to what's normal for your dog now and start to watch out for little changes. Um, and get some mats down on your laminate floors, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so mats down on laminate floors. Know your dog. Look if they're pooing funny. No, okay. <laughs> um, oh, no, that's great, Mayor. I mean, one last thing you haven't, if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, the name of your business so people can look you up if they want to find you and ask you any questions. Yeah, I'm based in the West Midlands, and my business is Seeker, S-E-E-K-A, canine massage. Um, you can also find um, details of clinical canine massage therapists in your area. If you go on to the Canine Massage Guild website, there's a searchable um, facility there to find your local uh, clinical massage therapist, a guild member. Um, all guild members have had to um, complete the two-year training and um pass the course at the end it's not it's natalie always says this isn't a pay to play course uh you have yeah, to pass yeah. it. you have to meet the standards you've assessed right the way through the course you have to do a written exam at the end and a series of practical exams so you can be assured that if you um find somebody off the canine massage guild they have also had to do uh 1200 hours of 
courses, study, but and 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 the exams at the end. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that's great. That's really helpful tool. Unbelievably, tool there are people. some massage courses that are solely online for dogs. Oh, how can it help? I mean, <laughs> you just you just work? couldn't switch it. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started no. on on no. the lack of regulation in the industry. But anyway, mm. just across the canine industry, yes. but apart from vets, obviously sleep but apart from that it's a bit of a free-for-all let's be honest um (laughs) but um i really hope uh you guys have found this useful i hope it's given you a few points some things to look out for as always if you've got any questions you can contact me at canine friends uk and you can contact jay blue male minion on facebook or via goodguardianship.com Yep. And obviously you've got Mare's details if you wanted to get in touch with her or you had any questions. And anyway, thank you so much again, Mare, for coming on and taking time to to speak to us and our listeners. And um, Jay, any final thoughts before we finish? Watch your dogs. Learn your dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you both. um, And thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.